Section 43 of Yiddish Tales. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Yiddish Tales translated by Helena Frank and read by Adrian Pretzelis. Section 43. Shalom Ash. Born 1881 in Kutno, Government of Warsaw, Russian Poland. Jewish education and Hasidic surroundings. Began to write in 1900, earliest works being in Hebrew. Sipurim was published in 1903, and Ashtetl in 1904. Wrote his first drama in 1905, distinguished for realism, love of nature, and description of parochial Jewish life in the villages. Playwright. Dramas. Gott von Nekomo, Meshiach Zeiten, etc. Collected works, Schriffen, Warsaw, 1908 to 1912, in course of publication. A Simple Story by Sholem Ash Fagel, like all young girls, is fond of dressing and decking herself out. She has no time for these frivolities during the week. There is work in plenty, Kenny Hora, and sewing to do. Rent is high, and times are bad. The father earns but little, and there is a deal wanting towards her three hundred roubles dowry, beside which her mother trenches on it occasionally, on Sabbath, when the family purse is empty. There are as many marriageable young men as dogs. Only every dog wants a fat bone, comes into her head. She dislikes much thinking. She's a young girl and a pretty one. Of course, one shouldn't be conceited, but when she stands in front of the glass, she sees her bright face and rosy cheeks and the fall of her black hair. But she soon forgets it all as though she were afraid that to rejoice in it might bring her ill luck. Sabbath is quite another thing. There is time and to spare, and on Sabbath Fagler's toilette knows no end. The mother calls, There, Fagler, that's enough. You will do very well as you are. But what should old-fashioned women like her know about it? Anything will do for them. Whether you've got a hat and a jacket on or not, they're just as pleased. But a young girl like Fagel knows the difference. He is sitting out there on the bench. He, Eliezer, with a party of his mates, casting furtive glances, which he thinks nobody sees, and nudging his neighbour. Look, fire and flame! And she, Fagel, behaves as though unaware of his presence walks straight past, as coolly and unconcernedly as you please, and as though Eliezer might look and look his eyes out after her, take his own life, hang himself, for all she cares. But, oh, Fagel, the vexation and the heartache when one day you walk past and he doesn't look at you, but at Malka, who has a new hat and jacket, that suit her about as well as a veil suits a dog, and yet he looks at her, 
and you turn round again, and yet again, pretending to look at something else, because it isn't proper, but you just glance over your shoulder, and he is still looking after Malka, his whole face shining with delight, and he nudges his mate, as to say, do you see? Oh, Fagel, you need a heart of adamant, if it is not to burst in twain with mortification. However, no sooner has Malka disappeared down a sidewalk than he gets up from the bench, dragging his mate along with him, and they follow, arm in arm, follow Fagel, like her shadow, to the end of the avenue, where, catching her eye, he nods a good Shabbos. Fagel, with a supercilious tip-tilt of her head, as much as to say, hm, it's all the same to me, I'm sure. I'll just go down this other avenue for a change. And lo and behold, if she happens to look around, there is Eliezer too, and he follows, follows like a wearisome creditor. And then, oh, Fagel, such a lovely, blissful feeling comes over you. Don't look, take no notice of him, walk ahead, stiffly and firmly, with your head high, let him follow and look at you. And he looks, and he follows. He would follow you to the world's end, into the howling desert. Ho, oh, oh, ho, how lovely it feels! But once, on a Sabbath evening, walking in the gardens with a girlfriend and he following, Fagel turned aside down a dark path, and sat down on a bench behind a bushy tree. He came and sat down too, at the other end of the bench. Evening. The many branching trees overshadow and obscure. It grows dark. They are screened and hidden from view. A breeze blows lightly and pleasantly, and cools the air. They feel it good to be there, their hearts beat in the stillness. Who will say the first word? He coughs, ahem, to show that he is there, but she makes no sign, implying that she neither knows who he is nor what he wants, and has no wish to learn. They are silent, they only hear their own beating hearts and the wind in the leaves. I um, beg your pardon, do you um, know what time it is? No, I don't, she replies stiffly, meaning, I know quite well what you're after, but don't be in such a hurry, you won't get anything the sooner. The girl beside her gives her a nudge. Did you hear that? she giggles. Fagel feels a little annoyed with her. Does the girl think she is the object? And she presently prepares to rise, but remains as though glued to the seat. A beautiful night, isn't it? Yes, a beautiful evening. And so the conversation gets into swing, with a question from him and an answer from her, on different subjects, first with fear and fluttering of the heart, then they get closer one to another, and become more confidential. When she goes home, he sees her to the door. They shake hands and say, 
till we meet again. And they meet a second and a third time, for young hearts attract each other like a magnet. At first, of course, it's accidental. They meet by chance in the company of two other people, a girlfriend of hers and a chum of his, and then, little by little, they come to feel that they want to see each other alone, all to themselves, and they fix upon a quiet time and place. And they met. They walked away together, outside the town, between the sky and the fields, walked and talked, and again, conscious that the talk was an artificial one, were even more gladly silent. Evening, and the last sunbeams were gliding over the ears of corn on both sides of the way. Then a breeze came along, and the ears swayed and whispered together as the two passed on between them down the long road. Night was gathering. It grew continually darker, more melancholy, more delightful. I've been wanting to know you for a long time, Fagel. I know. You follow me like a shadow. They are silent. What are you thinking about, Fagel? What are you thinking about, Eleazar? And they plunge once more into a deep converse about all sorts of things, and there seems to be no reason why it should ever end. It grows darker and darker. They have come to walk closer together. Now he takes her hand, she gives a start, but his hand steals further and further into hers. Suddenly, as dropped from the sky, he bends his face and kisses her on the cheek. A thrill goes through her. She takes her hand out of his, and appears rather cross but he knows it is put on, and very soon she is all right again, as if the incident were forgotten. An hour or two goes by thus, and every day now they steal away and meet outside the town. And Eleazar began to frequent her parents' house, the first time with an excuse. He had some work for Fagel. And then, as people do, he came to know when the work would be done, and Fagel behaved as though she had never seen him before, as though not even knowing who he was, and politely begged him to take a seat. So it came about by degrees that Eleazar was continually in and out of the house, coming and going as he pleased, and without stating any pretext whatsoever. Fagel's parents knew him for a steady young man. He was a skilled artisan, earning a good wage, and they knew quite well why a young man comes to the house of a young girl, but they feigned ignorance, thinking to themselves, eh, let the children get to know each other better. There will be time enough to talk it over afterwards. Evening. A small room. Shadows moving on the walls. A new table on which burns a large, bright lamp and sitting beside it, Fagel, sewing, and Eleazar reading aloud a novel by Shoma. Father and mother, tired out with a whole day's work, sleep on their beds behind the curtain, which shuts off half the room. 
And so they sit, both of them. Only sometimes Eleazar laughs aloud, takes her by the hand, and exclaims with a smile, Fagel! What do you want, silly? Nothing at all, nothing at all. And she sews on, thinking, I have got you fast enough, but don't imagine you are taking someone from the street, just as she is. There are still eighty roubles wanting to make three hundred in the bank. And she shows him her wedding outfit, the shifts and the bedclothes, of which half lie waiting in the drawers. They drew closer one to another. They became more and more intimate, so that all looked upon them as engaged, and expected the marriage contract to be drawn up any day. Fagel's mother was jubilant at her daughter's good fortune, at the prospect of such a son-in-law, such a golden son-in-law. Reb Yankel, her father, was an elderly man, a worn-out peddler bent sideways with the bag of junk continually on his shoulder. Now he too had a little bit of pleasure, a taste of joy, for which God be praised. Everyone rejoices, Fagel most of all. Her cheeks look rosier and fresher, her eyes darker and brighter. She sits at her machine and sews, and the whole room rings with her voice. Un was ich hab gewollt, hab ich ausgeführt, soll ich also leben. Ich hab gewollt, schönem Hosen, hat mir Gott gegeben. In the evening comes Eliaza. Well, what are you doing? What should I be doing? Wait, I'll show you something. What sort of a thing? She raises from her place, goes to the chest that stands in the stove corner, takes something out of it, and hides it under her apron. Whatever have you got there? he laughs. Why are you in such a hurry to know? she asks, and sits down beside him, brings from under her apron a picture in fine woolwork, Adam and Eve and shows it him, saying, There, now you see. It was worked by a girl I know, for me, for us. I shall hang it up in our room, opposite the bed. Yours or mine? You wait, Eliaza. You will see the house I shall arrange for you. A paradise, I tell you, just a little paradise. Everything in it will have to shine so that it will be a pleasure to step inside. And every evening, when work is done, we two shall sit together, side by side, just as we are doing now." And he puts an arm around her. "'And you will tell me everything, all about everything,' says she, laying a hand on his shoulder, while, with the other, she takes hold of his chin and looks into his eyes. They feel so happy, so light at heart. Everything in the house has taken on an air of kindliness. There is a soft, attractive gloss on every object in the room. On the walls and the table, the familiar things make signs to her, and speak to her 
as friend to friend. The two are silent, lost in their own thoughts. Look, she says to him, and takes her bank-book out of the chest, two hundred and forty roubles already. I shall make it up to three hundred, and then you won't have to say, I took you just as you were. Go along with you, you're very unjust, and I'm cross with you, Fagel. Why? Because I tell you the truth to your face? she asks, looking into his face and laughing. He turns his head away, pretending to be offended. You little silly! Are you feeling hurt? I was only joking, can't you see? So it goes on, till her old mother's face peeps out from behind the curtain, warning them that it is time to go to rest, when the young couple bid each other good-night. Reb Yankel, Fagel's father, fell ill. It was in the beginning of winter, and there was war between winter and summer. The former sent a snowfall, the latter a burst of sun. The snow turned to mud, and between times it poured with rain by the bucketful. This sort of weather made the old man ill. He became weak in the legs, and took to his bed. There was no money for food, and still less for firing, and Fagel had to lend for the time being. The old man lay abed and coughed, his pale, shrivelled face reddened, the teeth showed between the drawn lips, and the blue veins stood out on his temples. They sent for the doctor, who prescribed a remedy. The mother wished to pawn their last pillow, but Fagel protested, and gave up part of her wages, and when this was not enough, she pawned her jacket anything sooner than touch the dowry. And he, Eleazar, came every evening, and they sat down together beside the well-known table in the lamplight. "'Why are you so sad, Fagler? How can you expect me to be cheerful with father so ill?' "'God will help, Fagler, and he will get better.' It's four weeks since I put a farthing into the savings bank. What do you want to save for? What do I want to save for? she asked with a startled look, as though something had frightened her. Are you going to tell me you will take me without a dowry? What do you mean by without a dowry? You're worth all the money in the world to me, worth my whole life. What do I want with your money? See here my five fingers. They can earn all we need. I have two hundred roubles in the bank, saved from my earnings. What do I want with more?" They are silent for a moment, with downcast eyes. "'And your mother?' she asks, quietly. "'Will you please tell me, are you marrying my mother or me? And what concern is she of yours?' Fagel is silent. I tell you again, I'll take you just as you are, and you'll take me the same, will you? She puts the corner of her apron to her eyes, and cries quietly to herself. There is stillness around. The lamp sheds its brightness over the little room, and casts their shadows onto the walls. 
The heavy sleeping of the old people is audible behind the curtains, and her head lies on his shoulder, and her thick black hair hides his face. "'How kind you are, Eleazar,' she whispers through her tears, and she opens her whole heart to him, tells him how it is with them now, how bad things are. They have pawned everything, and there is nothing left for tomorrow, nothing but the dowry. He clasps her lovingly, and dries her cheeks with her apron end, saying, Don't cry, Fagel, don't cry. It will come all right. And tomorrow, mind, you are to go to the post-office and take a little of the dowry, as much as you need, until your father, God helping, is well again and able to earn something. And then, and then, she echoes in a whisper, and then it will all come right. And his eyes flash into hers. Just as you are, he whispers. And she looks at him, and a smile crosses her face. She feels so happy, so happy. Next morning she went to the post-office for the first time with her bank-book, took out a few roubles, and gave them to her mother. The mother sighed heavily, and took on a grieved expression. She frowned, and pulled her headkerchief down over her eyes. Old Reb Yankel, lying in bed, turned his face to the wall. The old man knew where the money came from. He knew how his only child had toiled for these few roubles. Other fathers gave money to their children. He took it. It seemed to him as though he were plundering the two young people. He had not long to live, and he was robbing them before he died. As he thought on this, his eyes glazed, the veins on his temple swelled, and his face became suffused with blood. His head is buried in the pillow, and turns to the wall. He lies and thinks these thoughts. He knows that he is in the way of the children's happiness, and he prays that he might die, and she, Fagel, would come into a fortune all at once, to have a lot of money, to be as rich as any great lady. And then suppose she had a thousand roubles now, this minute, and he came in, there, take the whole of it, see if I love you, there, take it, and then you needn't say you love me for nothing, just as I am." They sit beside the father's bed, she and her Eleazar. Her heart overflows with content. She feels happier than she ever felt before. There are even tears of joy on her cheeks. She sits and cries, hiding her face with her apron. He takes her caressingly by the hand repeating in his kind, sweet voice, Fagala, stop crying, Fagala, please!" The father lies turned with his face to the wall, and the beating of his heart is heard in the stillness. They sit, and she feels confidence in Eleazar. She feels that she can rely upon him. She sits and drinks in his words 
she feels him rolling the heavy stones off from her heart. The old father has turned around and looked at them, and a sweet smile steals over his face, as though he would say, Have no fear, children, I agree with you, I agree with all my heart. And Fagel feels so happy, so happy. The father is still lying ill, and Fagel takes out one rouble after another, one five-rouble piece after another. The old man lies and prays and muses, and looks at the children, and holds his peace. His face gets paler and more wrinkled, he grows weaker, he feels his strength ebbing away. Fagel goes on taking money out of the savings bank. The stamps in her book grow less and less. She knows that soon there will be nothing left. Old Reb Yankel wishes in secret that he did not require so much that he might cease to hamper other people. He spits blood drops, and his strength goes on diminishing. And so do the stamps in Fagel's book. The day he died saw the last farthing of Fagel's dowry disappear after the others. Fagel has resumed her seat by the bright lamp, and sews and sews till far into the night, and with every seam that she sews something is added to the credit of her new account. This time the dowry must be a larger one, because for every stamp that is added to the account book, there is a new grey hair on Fagel's black head. End of A Simple Story by Sholem Ash.